0: What's cooking, everybody? You're here with us at the Brooklyn Content House for another episode of the What's Cooking Podcast, home of the hottest entrepreneurs around the city. So today, this is actually our second uh, panel. For those of you that don't remember, the panels are gonna be episodes based around mainly financial literacy, where we're gonna be inviting financial professionals to talk about their industry, as well as their personal experiences. So you guys have a guide in regards to how to get started, if that's something that you uh, wanna pursue. So today with me, I have a good friend of mine, uh, one of my boys from high school. He was also in the same class as Isaiah from Surprise NYC, my boy Peter, and he's going to introduce himself and talk to you guys about uh, real estate as well as his experiences. So, Peter, it's a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Yeah, my name is Peter Alvarez. I'm a real estate agent with EXP Realty. I'm in Queens. I cover all five boroughs and also Westchester County, too.
2: Queens is in the house. You have me. Yeah, you're from
1: Queens? That's right. Uh, what part of Queens?
2: Uh, far out for Okay. Cool. The cool. Yeah, outskirts. <laughs> from the hood.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Peter's always been like a humble, serious guy ever since I know him uh, from high school. It's actually funny. He was actually the quiet guy. Like I tell people all the time too. Like I remember when I first met Peter. Yeah. Uh, this is more on the basketball tip. But when I first met Peter, Peter didn't even want to play ball. Like Peter was just sitting watching everybody. And then, like the next sure day, he, that. <laughs> the next day he shows up, and then like he just he's frying at everybody because he looked like the kid that just don't play ball. Like everybody's playing ball, he's the only one sitting down for whatever reason. Next day he shows up, he just starts killing everybody. So it was just like that was that was just like that's like, crazy. I don't that was, even remember that, bro. <laughs> I remember that vividly because when he did it, I was just like, bro, this is the guy that was just chilling yesterday. Like, he, he <laughs> so it's just like you know, I always took took him serious, and I always took him as you know that guy that you know. <laughs> The silent killer. Exactly. So, like, you know, to see that, you know, he's been running it up in the real estate world is just like it's not a surprise for me because, again, silent killer. I didn't even know he was doing real estate. So I've actually heard that from other people, too, like
1: just when I was growing up, like 14, 15, I was a lot more reserved and a lot more quiet. Mm -hmm. And then when I started getting into real estate, people were like kind of surprised and they saw like a a personality shift in me when like after college. Yeah. Yeah, they saw a big personality shift and they were surprised and they were happy for me, too.
0: Nah, I ain't gonna lie. I feel like you've always been the same, like, person. Like, oh, yeah? your character yes. now, it's definitely highlights, like, who you were before. Like, for Appreciate sure. that, bro. Yeah, so tell us about how you got into real estate.
1: Okay, so I got into real estate because, well, my mother introduced the idea to me. My mother's a property manager. She's been doing it for, like, 20 years in the city. So she introduced the idea of real estate to me at a young age. When I was, like, 16, 17, she was like, oh, look, you, could, you can make money selling houses and stuff and helping people build generational wealth. And you can also be your own boss and work for yourself and create your own schedule. And, you know, real estate is one of the biggest keys to wealth. So she told me that at a young age, and it's something that I always thought about. And I went to college for business and communications. And I was just exploring like other options and stuff like that, maybe getting into like the film industry, um, behind the scenes, doing a little acting as well. did a few short films, but I realized that, you know, that wasn't the industry for me. And I just practice my business skills and my communication skills a lot in college. And then throughout college, I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. But I want to gain more knowledge first and feel more comfortable with myself and the way I communicate in order to, you know, pursue this business. Because this business is all about communication and networking and knowledge. So, you know, that's that's really when I started when I was about 18. I kind of figured that I want to do this. Okay. Yeah. That's
0: awesome. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah. I got my license when I was about 22, so it was like right in the middle of the pandemic. So I was still in college at the time. I was going to, to City College up in New York, in, um, in, in Harlem, in New York. And uh, right when the pandemic hit, um, you know, obviously we were all from, working from home and stuff like that. And I was thinking about getting my real estate license, but I still didn't feel quite ready to do it. So I had a few friends of mine that were also in sales they were in life insurance so they were telling me oh we're making a lot of money doing this I know you want to do real estate too but maybe you could start this for a couple months and gain some skills and gain some money while you work from home too because real estate you have to be in the field and stuff like that so I figured maybe I could like just try this out practice my sales and stuff like that and so I got my life insurance license in like a month and then I started working for this company and I just did not like the job at all I didn't like the company I was working for I didn't like working remotely because it was like 16 hours a day just working remote. It was ridiculous. So um, I did gain skills from that. I gained a lot of skills from that month and a half that I worked in life insurance. I gained like cold calling skills and, you know, just how to talk to Mm -hmm. people and just how to be more of a salesman in that time. So I wouldn't say that it was a waste of time. Building relationships. Exactly. I gained some skills from that. And um, after I left that, and then I was like, no, I didn't need to pursue my real estate license right now. It's the time to do it. I was still getting that unemployment money. So I didn't really have to worry about money like that. And I was exactly. (laughs) And then I was still living in the Bronx, in the South Bronx at the time. So I was able to just save up a lot of money. And, um, you know, I just built my business from then. And uh, um, I started looking at brokerages to join. And um, I decided to join a brokerage with my ex at the time because she also wanted to get into real estate. I introduced the idea to her and um, we got into it together at this company that was around where she was at in queens and you know we learned a lot together i learned a lot at at that company and then after a year i decided that i wanted to pursue a bigger company so that's why i joined exp realty because i wanted a a larger network of people and agents and yeah and that's basically how i got started in in real estate
0: okay so did you have to get the license on your own yeah yeah i had to get the license on my
1: own so what you have to do is you have to take a 75 hour course. I did it in about maybe like a month and a half, but it was the, like the height of COVID. So I had to wait a while after I took my first test, I did that online. And then I had to wait about like six or seven weeks to schedule the state test. And I had to go all the way up in Albany because there was nothing being tested in in the city for it. So I had to drive like two and a half hours away. Um, I went there and then I passed the test the first time The state exam. Every state that you go to has different um requirements. So you have to take a state exam if you want to get licensed in that specific state. And um it took me about six or seven weeks to actually get my results back for the state exam. Nowadays Mm -hmm. you get it back in like two or three days, a week at most, you know. So at that time I just had to wait and be patient and just, you know, gain knowledge at the time.
2: So just a question about that, that
1: long no no definitely not you know like it was during covid so everything was closed there was nothing much to do so mm-hmm. i was just chilling collecting ue until you know time was right <laughs> you know I, I'm definitely, I'm definitely gonna that
2: time,
0: yeah. yeah yeah so i was gonna ask too uh, so uh yeah so you said you did it on your own is there a difference with doing it with like a company because i know a lot of companies yeah. especially like when it comes to like you know that field of you know insurance real estate like anywhere that you really need like those licensing they, yeah Tend to like, I can't I can't really say bribe because a lot of people don't know what they're getting into, but that tends to be like the, like that tends to be the like like the benefit to it. Like they'll be like, oh, and we'll pay for your like so and so, like your yeah, exam yeah, yeah. for this and that or whatever. Right, right,
1: yes. So the number one tip that I would give any new agent coming into business is to interview with as many companies as you can, especially the big ones like Keller Williams, um, EXP douglas element like interview with a bunch of this is just for real estate yeah just for real estate if you want to become an agent Mm -hmm. so i would recommend that because every company has different like commission splits they have different franchise fees that you have to pay for for every transaction they offer different things every company pretty much offers like real estate training but some is better than others you know some of them offer more hours of training um what else they offer different resources to you as well they offer different things that they pay for and do for you so, the larger the commission split, let's say if it's like a 50 50 commission split, the more that they'll do for you in terms of like marketing. They'll pay for like the photos if you have like listings and stuff like that. Um, what else? They, they'll give you certain leads, but they'll still take fees like off of the leads and stuff like that. What else? You know, they mainly just help out of the marketing stuff for you. And, you know, they'll post the listings for you and things like that. And, you know, that's what my first company was doing. I loved my first company. It was great. I liked the people there. Everybody was cool. I learned a lot there. I just felt like I wanted something just a little bit more. That's the only reason that I left. Um, You know, and also you have to really pay attention to the franchise fees when you're working with a company, because let's say if you have like a 70-30 split, so you keep 70% commission and then 30% goes to the company. Let's say there's a franchise fee of like five or six percent. On top of the 30% split, you have to pay a franchise fee for every single transaction that you give them in terms of buying and selling so that that is basically 65 percent, 35 instead of a 70 30 like they would say Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so that's something that you always that you definitely have to look out for but you know you should go with wherever you feel the most comfortable and where you're going to learn the most especially if it's your first year because you can always you know explore other options you need to have a mentor definitely like your first year um you know that's, that's the biggest key, I would say, is having a men- mentor and, you know, like, hold you accountable day by day and teach you all the ropes in the business.
0: Yeah. So speak on, like, your personal experience. How has it been, like, selling, especially since you said you started in COVID, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I started, I started mainly, like, about a year and a half ago. So it was 2021 when I started, like, around, like, March. So um, I was getting my license, like, during the heart of COVID also. Mm-hmm. And I started, like, around that time. So the beginning process for me was a little rough because I started, like, in March. And then, like, two weeks after I started, I broke my ankle. So I couldn't go on a bunch of showings. I couldn't go on a bunch of things like that. So I had to, like, reset for another couple months. So for another, like, two months, basically. So I was just at home studying and stuff like that. And um, I was already working with these clients that my company had gave me. And it, it just felt like it was all aligned. They were looking for... Um, a single family house upstate and I was living in the Bronx at the time so it was only like a 45 minute drive for me it wasn't that bad my office was based in Queens so that's why they gave me that lead since I was a lot closer and things like that so um I connected with the client upstate I met them at a open house and they told me they were looking for like eight months they couldn't find nothing and I was like all right this is my first deal I'm gonna put my all into it I'm gonna make sure they get something they were trying to they moved they lived in Brooklyn actually um, they lived in about, I think, East New York, so they wanted to get out of the hood, they wanted to, you know, raise a family upstate, and um, they just had a baby, and the baby was about to turn one, and the baby had the same exact birthday as me, too, so we just, like, mm-hmm. connected the first day off that. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, cool, like, just feels like it's supposed to happen this way, you know, so um, I looked with them for about three weeks, I went on three different weekends upstate, looked at a bunch of houses, and the houses upstairs are way cheaper, obviously. Yeah. So we were looking like in the 300000 to 370000 range. Like that was our range that, that we could look at. So, um, you know, we started looking at houses upstate. And <laughs> so the one that actually, that we actually got the deal on, I went upstate and I was wearing a boot at the time. Like mm-hmm. literally just still going on showings. I was wearing a boot trying to, to heal my foot. I was That's walking on crutches with the boot during the showings and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the agent saw that, and she was also the owner of that property, too. And so we connected just off that. She's like, I can't believe you're here, like, you know, on the boot, still showing houses, whatever. I'm like, yeah, exactly, I got to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that deal ended up working perfectly for them. They were a similar family to the family that was moving in as well, too. And, you know, we put in the offer for about, like, $10,000 less than the, the listing price. And that was rare at the time, too, because during COVID, you know, everybody was selling houses for like thirty, forty thousand dollars over asking price and things like that. And so the fact that we were able to get it just under asking price says a lot about you know the family because it's not always about who has the most money. It's about who's the right people that are going to take care of this house. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's that's about the money, it's about the right people. So we connected with the owners like immediately, and they 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 loved us basically. And um, you know, we put the offer and we got accepted. And as soon as I called my client, I told her we got an accepted offer. She started crying like crazy. She's like, "Oh my God! Like I've been looking for so long for eight, nine months. I thought we were never gonna find anything. Thank you so much!" She started bawling on the phone. And I just got emotional. Like it really hit me, yeah. and I was just really happy to help them. And in that moment, I'm like, "This is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing." Like everything just felt great. Everything felt so aligned. It didn't feel like work to me whatsoever. And you know, um, it was a very smooth close to be closing about like 45 days. And, you know, they were just super grateful and they, they were happy that I helped them out. Yeah. So that was that was my first deal. And we closed like last summer. That was my first one that I
0: got. So you said your mom is a property manager? Yeah, in the city. And, yeah. So tell us. Well, I mean, I already know the story, but tell, tell the audience about, you know, the story of helping her like with the, the, uh, the house that you guys closed. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah, yeah. I know it's very emotional. and very. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, my mom, she's been a property manager for like 20 years in the city. So she's been, she's, she introduced the idea of, you know, investing to me in general because, you know, I come from the South Bronx. I grew up there almost everybody there. I know we just rent out property. We don't own anything, especially like in my, in my family, we don't really own property like that. We just got the first one um, over the past summer. So we started looking last year when I got my license, we started looking last summer and, um, we were putting in a bunch of offers for a bunch of different houses and stuff, but interest rates were super low at the time last summer. So um, we were just getting outbidded and you know outpriced on every property that we were looking for. And we even got an accepted offer on one property that we thought was perfect. We were only looking in the Westchester and Yonkers area. So we got an accepted offer, we scheduled the inspection. And then literally a couple hours before the inspection, the, the agent calls me, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, the owner accepted another offer that was $10,000 more your offer and you know that was just kind of like a heartbreaker for us so my mom she just wanted to take a break after that because at the time um we couldn't really get another property that was like that one or you know equivalent to that one because we were just kept getting outbidded and you know the interest rate started rising a little bit so she couldn't really qualify for certain things mm-hmm. so we just took a little break for about like three or four months and we started looking again so this process was basically like a year of us like looking for the best deal that we could find you know so we started looking again maybe i would say like last fall you know we were going on every other weekend or you know during the weekdays sometimes we were looking and stuff um you know i was also helping other clients at the time so spring happened then we just started going like full force like now nah, we need to make this happen now like you know, like who cares about the interest rates we got to put the best offer we got to find out Got to connect with all these agents to see what deal that we can get. So I made that my number one priority over the summer. I was like, I want to get this house from my mom. I want to help her. I want to help our family. So we were looking, and May of this year, we started going crazy, like looking almost every day for houses. And then we found one in the middle of Yonkers, which is like the perfect location to be at right now. It's a, it's a multi-family, a two-family house. So um you know, we went to the house and we realized, okay, like. It's, it's priced this way for a reason. We need to fix up the entire house so we can actually, you know, build up equity in the house and, you know, we can build the house the way that we want to build it. So we knew that going into the house. So we got it in the, the mid 500s, you know, so we got it at a good price. And um, so we, we connected with the owners. So they were, they were Puerto Rican, like us, like me and my, my mom. So it was a mother and her daughter. She was the same age as me, kind of the same story. The lady was the same age as my mom. My mom had me at 18, by the way. So she, you know, she raised me as a single mom from the time I was 10 until, you know, now basically. So we connected immediately with the owners just through that. So we went with them throughout the entire house and they were telling us about everything. And my mom, she loves like old houses and the way the way it looks. And, you know, the house had good bones as well too. So um, she she knew going into the house that we would have to like fix up everything, but she was totally fine with it and, you know, right after that we put in an offer and we got accepted literally within like an hour after we put an offer in and we were just so happy finally after like a year of searching that we found something and um you know we set up the inspection right after that and you know the inspector that i work with he's a really good guy and he was he was um he was telling us like oh like this is this is gonna be great like you guys can make a lot of money off this house like once you fix it up you know there's a lot of cash flow that you can make with this house and um you know that was that was the main goal we wanted to get a multi-family first before a single family because she you know she's a property manager she already knows how to manage properties manage houses and things like that so and we wanted to make an investment for our family you know build generational wealth build up our net worth build up our real estate portfolio um you know rent out the property and also help people at the same time as we're renting out the property and stuff you know so um basically after i think We closed within two months of the, of the, after the contract date. So we wanted the contract, I would say like two weeks after we got the offer accepted. So, you know, basically the way you buy a house is you put the offer in and then you definitely should always get an inspection because the inspector will tell you, you know, if the house has good bones, um, he's going to tell you what's good, everything bad about the house. He's going to be straightforward with you. Tell you if there's anything that's going to be very pricey to fix or to replace um so he'll just lay everything out for you and then he'll give you an inspection report and tell you everything and it's also a very good negotiation tactic after the inspection he'll give you a report and then you negotiate with the sellers on what you want to get fixed so that's exactly what we did so after we got the inspection we knew the house needed like a gutter renovation and we wanted to fix everything anyway so he was telling us that we need to replace the roof within the next like five years um you know the basement has things that need to be fixed i had some you know, some like molding and stuff or whatever. The appliances all needed to be updated. Everything needed to be updated in that house the plumbing, the electrical. It's just an old house. It was built like in 1908. So, um, you know, the owners like took care of it. Obviously, it's been over 100 years, but it had good bones. The foundation was good in the house. So, that's the most important thing when you look when you're looking to buy a house is like the foundation of the property because that's that could be the most expensive thing to fix. Sometimes it's up to, like, $50,000 just to fix certain things in the foundation, you know? So um, after we got that inspection report, we were able to negotiate $20,000 off of the original offer that we put. So I labeled everything out that needed to be fixed in the house from the inspection report, sent it over to the agent, and told him, like, listen, these are the things that came up in the inspection. These are what we want to get fixed. But if not, you guys can give us credit for it. And then we'll just lower the the asking price. And since we built that good relationship with the sellers, no, they thought it was a no brainer anyway. And they wanted to just, they wanted to sell the house. They thought we were the people that were gonna take care of it the most, you know? So um, we were able to negotiate that. So then after we negotiated that, we got on the contract. And the way you get on the contract is you always want to work with a real estate attorney. You don't want to work with just any attorney. It has to be a real estate attorney that knows all the rules and regulations, all the laws. And, you know, they're going to protect you no matter what. So um, we wrote up the contracts and it took another week. And then we finally got on the contract. And once you go on the contract, then everything is solidified. They can't take another offer. They can't just be like, oh, like, we want to accept this offer? That's 20000 more because you're already on the contract. You have a binding agreement. So... After that, it took us about, like, 45 days to close after we were under contract. And, you know, during that time, there's a lot of stressful things that can happen, you know, very, like, minimal things that seem like the end of the world or whatever. So, you know, I was just trying to k- tell my mom to just, like, keep calm, keep patient. You know, when you're, when you're trying to build generational wealth and a real estate portfolio, the mo- number one thing you need is patience. You yeah. really, really need to be patient because this is not a get-rich-quick scheme, you know. You definitely need to be patient with it and you know everything worked out the way it was supposed to work out and you know we got the sale of the house in um in august and then we started you know rebuilding the whole thing and now we're renting it out to a tenant with the first floor so, and now we're, we're fixing up the second floor and the basement as well try to build up as much cash flow we can in the property great. yeah so, it's so funny that
3: you said patience because um my dad is a real estate agent oh cool cool he works with my um godmother she's a broker mm-hmm. and Sure on no locations, and I was trying to figure <laughs> out like what I want to do. I was like, oh, I think I want to do real estate. Yeah. He's like, yeah, no. He's like, that's not for you. But like working in their office over the summer, you know, some people get crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. at least the agents are characters. Nuts. Like, and then the people like that you work with come across, and they have these high expectations. Yeah. But, you know their portfolio doesn't match what they want to buy, so they like, you got to deal with that too. So mm-hmm. my question for you is. How do you deal with that? <laughs> like keep yourself sane and you know, sometimes it's high weeks and low right. months and high months and low months, because my grandmother told oh, me, one month they sold 10 houses. Yes. The next month they sold nothing.
1: Right, right. Um, so the way I deal with it is um, you know, the number one most important thing for me is having control of my own time. So that's that's the reason that I wanted to become an entrepreneur is and work for myself, is because I can create my own time. So I created my own routine, and I have outlets that I use whenever you know things aren't going so well in business. So you know, I wake up early. I go to the gym. I play basketball as much as I possibly can. I meditate and things like that. Um, I journal. So when things aren't going right in business, then you know it's sometimes you just have to take a step back and realize that you know sometimes it's not always your fault, and you got to just. Like I said, you just got to be patient with the process and trust that everything is going to be good and everything is going to work out. And all you could do is just try your best and work hard as you can, you know? So when things aren't going well on certain deals, I've had, certain, I have, I've had a few deals fall out for a couple of reasons. So um, I'm going to give you an example. I had a closing that was supposed to happen about two months ago. I was about to sell a house to a client and there was construction going on next door to the house. And I was a little skeptical about it, too. Like I was I said in my head, I hope nothing happens like during this process of like, you know, the couple months before we close and everything, literally a week before we were about to close, a crane smashed into the building and like destroyed the upstairs apartment of the house. So now we have to get that fixed up. Of course, they put a claim on that and we're going to get the money back. For, but now it's going to take a couple more months for everything to get mm-hmm. settled. You know, so, um, you know, things like that just happened unexpectedly. And you just have to have the patience, you have to have, um, you know, the attitude that everything is going to work out and be fine. And when you have control of your own time, everything is very less stressful. You know what I mean? Like, like, if things like that happen to you, and then you got to go to a job that you don't like going to every single day, then that's going to be super stressful for you. You know, that's just going to keep you down. And, um, you know, a lot of people work jobs that they really don't like for whatever circumstances that they're in. But luckily, I have a job that I love, even if it's. In the good or the bad phases and you know in the bad phases when things aren't going well in terms of like buying and selling um real estate with those clients there's all there's always other ways that you can make money you can make money helping people get rentals and stuff like that so you know right now the rental market is hot because um interest rates are so high for mortgages so a lot of people they feel like they can't afford mortgages and they want to rent even though the rental prices are really high nowadays too so um a way that i when so when that happened i'm like all right let me focus on you know just getting some quick money so i did a rental for one of my friends and i did another rental for a section 8 client so in new york city there's a bunch of section 8 clients like looking to looking for housing and stuff like that and um you know whenever you have a listing you always get a bunch of people hitting you up for that especially like rental listings and things so That's why I've also mentioned it's very important with the brokerage that you work with as well, too, because the the bigger your brokerage, the wider network you have. And, um, you know, when things aren't going well with your specific business, you can rely on other agents or you can ask for help from other agents as well. And, you know, you can help promote their listings so you can get clients that way. The number one thing you got to do in this business is to network and keep prospecting all the time, prospecting for new clients and also Helping people. You gotta lead with love. You gotta help people first before, you know, just looking for the, the dollar signs, you know? So, you know, I just try to keep a positive attitude about, you know, any situation that I'm going through. And I'm always grateful that I have control of my own time so I can utilize that and you know, figure out what's the best way to move forward. Because when things are just going wrong, there's no reason to just focus on all the negative. You, the only way out is to focus on the positive things and you know stay as calm as possible and not be stressed out so I love that. yeah
3: and then the point that you said lead, lead with love like um my dad i'm always going to reference back to them yeah because they have clients all the time that call them all the time saying thank you they'll bring them new people mm-hmm. even buy them christmas gifts because i didn't realize buying a house like it's so it's very sentimental to people yeah and like when you really take your time <laughs> excuse me when you really take your time and help somebody. Look
1: for house, they really appreciate it. Yeah, like it's it's if not, it's one of the biggest investments that you're gonna make in your life, if not the biggest investment that you'll make in your life. So it's super important to people and you gotta work with the right people in the business that's gonna help you, you know?
0: Exactly. Yes. So one thing that I like that you pointed out was journaling. What would you say? Journaling. I feel like that's an underrated skill that a lot of people, uh, in any business seem to downplay, which is journaling, because they feel like, Oh, you know, I don't really have to Write it down. What am I writing it down for? i just go through another experience. But when you actually look back in your journal, you find notes, you find yeah. mistakes that you made in the past that you could avoid in exactly. the future. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
3: Nothing works well when everything is up here. Like, that's me. <laughs> everything mm-hmm. with me is up here. My am like, get a book and start writing stuff down. Yeah. Even if you like, I made like a little vision board. I started putting stuff on there. Mm, that's nice. And then some of the stuff, I, actually, I looked at it and I was like, oh, shoot. I wanted this. I wanted a makeup studio. Mm-hmm. I put on my vision board. I was like, oh shoot, I created it. I have it now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, that that's true. I'm
1: gonna start mm-hmm. doing that now. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So that's what I did for, for this year specifically. 2022 is, you know, one of the biggest goals was I wanted to help my mom get that house, the first investment property. Then I wanted to get my own place and then really, you know, start focusing on building clients So I did I did all those things within this year. So you just gotta, you know, be grateful for your accomplishments that you made already. Because you know, when things are going bad in business, you always you should always like look back to the things that you should have gratitude for and the accomplishments that you already have. And then that makes you feel better and that brings your energy up and then you can just continue to progress, you know? Let
3: me look at how far
1: you got how far you came exactly within a year span, you know. I've only been in the business for like a year and six months, and um, a lot of people have told me like, Oh, you're doing so great. A lot of a lot of agents don't even make one or two sales in their first year. And, you know, I was grateful enough to make seven transactions within my first year. So you know what i mean so
0: so quick question would you say like do you think like location has to factor into it or do well probably not since you know there's Mm -hmm. so many people out there but i don't know like i mean like being a
1: realtor in new york as opposed to another place
0: that but at the same time too, i feel like at the same time that question kind of contradicts itself because the competition is definitely huge
1: yes yes absolutely you know there's eight nine million people in new york city so um, there's a, definitely a, a thousands of real estate agents, but there's <laughs> millions of people who are looking for for homes. You <laughs> know what I mean? So,
0: yeah.
3: And it goes back to being personal. Yeah,
0: I was good to say. Exactly. Personality. You got to be. Like you said, lead with love.
3: Uh huh. I'm gonna go with somebody who cares, or even if they pretend they care, versus mm-hmm. somebody who like whatever.
1: Yeah, you got <laughs> You gotta work with somebody who cares and is knowledgeable. Right. Those are the two things that you're really looking for. You know, for sure. Oh yeah, a lot of
3: people are out here and they don't know. <laughs> yeah and, and that's
1: okay when it's your first year everybody starts somewhere you know like i was just going off the fly the, the first the first year in the business and then i really learned a lot up until this point because i study a lot almost every day and um you know that's why it's also important for the brokerage that you go for so you know i was l- relying on my broker and other a- experienced agents in the office for you know when things went wrong or you know how to handle certain things how to handle the transaction from a to z and you know um That's that's the key to success in this business. Like, you you really need to have a mentor that shows you how to do things from A to Z in the transaction and, you know, how to build clientele and things like that.
0: So it's an industry that's very, I guess you could say, easier said than done. Of course. Because the way you just detailed everything for us is just like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And basically what I was going to get into is, uh, so obviously social media is like, you know, everybody feel like they have a voice on social media. And real estate is always the first thing people want to jump into like i feel like yeah it, people think it's a lot it's easier than people it just is. say oh let's if if all of us put a thousand dollars into it like no it's not it's, it's not that simple yeah and you just like told everybody that's viewing like how unsit like well uneasy well, well how difficult it is it like, is man oh, no, you're, you're literally
1: just <laughs> building a business from the ground up it's like
0: it's like you're you're building a, anything
1: else like a clothing brand or anything that you're selling yourself you're building your own business so Things like that, they take time. For most people especially, they take time to build up. And you really got to build your clientele. You got to gain the knowledge. You know, a lot of businesses, their first year, they don't even make a profit. They're just breaking even. And then they start making a profit the second year or even third year, you know. So real estate is kind of similar because you just really need to, you know, gain a lot of knowledge. A lot of people don't make their first sale until six months into the business. So, you know, luckily, I was fortunate enough to start at the perfect timing. Like I started when... I was living in the Bronx in my grandmother's house and um, I was getting unemployment money. So I didn't have to worry about paying my bills or anything like that. Um, And I was able to make a few sales during that time that, you know, I was also getting unemployment and then, you know, I was able to just really, really engage and focus on real estate hundred percent because it's hard. It's much harder for people who are, you know, let's say in their thirties, they have a family, they have kids already. It's so much harder, especially if you don't have a lot of money saved up, to really get into real estate and be successful at it because you need to have patience with it. And if you don't have money saved up, you got to pay the bills, you got to do mm-hmm. something else. You know what I mean? So a lot of people just run out of the business when they're not making money right away. So you really got to have a plan. You got to have a plan if you want to get into real estate, you got to have a plan of, you know, or a side gig or a side hustle that's going to be able to pay your bills until you make start making these sales, you know?
2: But I'm listening to you talk, like I'm just trying to learn a lot right now. Yeah, yeah, um, cool. Because like you do real estate, estate as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in real estate, but like my version of getting to where I want to do what real estate is, I wanted to start from the other way, which is wholesale. Right. So I wanted to ask how you felt about wholesaling. That was my first question. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about wholesaling, like wholesale real estate? And everything? But,
1: I think wholesaling real estate is great, Um, but as a realtor, it's illegal to do like wholesale deals, you know, as a as a professional realtor. Mm-hmm. But wholesaling is great. Have you ever heard of the bird method? Yeah. The, yeah, you've heard of the bird method. Yeah, yeah. That's the key that all wholesalers
0: use and So what is that for the audience that one
1: So the bird method is basically like a strategy that millions of investors use in real estate and they build their portfolios much faster. So the the bird method is first is buy Rehab, mm-hmm. rent, refinance, and then repeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll go through those things shortly. Um, so the Burr method is is, a, is mainly for like cash investors. Wait, did
0: you say Burr or Bird? Like Burr, an Burr, like oh, this one, I thought you meant yeah. like the animal. Not yeah, bird, not bird. no, no, no. <laughs> okay, so for all you out there, it's Burr, not Bird. Yeah, Burr.
1: So um, it's mainly for like cash investors. So you know, New York City obviously is super expensive. But there's a lot of people who have cash and you know um, it's mainly for like off-market deals the bird method yeah Yeah. so when you're looking at off-market deals you that you need like a wide network of people who um have off-market properties or you can connect with and basically you're looking for like a distressed property that needs maybe a full renovation or renovating most of it and you want to look for those properties in the upcoming neighborhoods you know so upcoming neighborhoods i would say like let's say new york city williamsburg is a huge neighborhood right now super expensive and then um in brooklyn in bushwick which is where i live they started gentrifying that area as well so the investors um like about 10 years ago started going to bushwick and getting properties around there for like three four hundred thousand and then now they're worth over a million dollars in brooklyn alone so that's where you really are looking for to buy when it comes to the bird method. You want to look for distressed properties in good neighborhoods and you want to have cash. So when you have, when you're dealing with cash, you can get a better deal on the properties because you know, the owner gets the money right away. They don't have to wait months for it. And you know, they're getting, they're just selling the property to you straight up. They don't have to go through everything. It's a much easier process. So you can get a better deal, especially when the house is distressed with cash. So that's that's the first key is like you're you're looking for the market where you can buy a property for below market value with cash and negotiate that with the seller. So a lot of people, they look in other other areas like other states, especially if you're from New York, because everything is so expensive. They'll look in other cities like. Yeah, yeah. They'll go. They'll go to like Cleveland, Ohio or Philly or like places that are much cheaper. And they'll they'll go and vet out those areas and they'll see they'll study the market, they'll study the areas, and they'll see what is the next up and coming place within maybe like the next five to 10 years. So they'll look for those properties, they'll connect with some with realtors over there and off market specialists. And, you know, they'll go straight to the owners and negotiate that property with cash. And since it's a distressed property, that's the first one you buy with cash. So then after that, second one is rehab. So What you want to do is I just learned this. I haven't done it myself, but I learned all of this from just millionaire real estate investors that I've been studying the past few months. So and also have the book called The Burr Method that I've been reading as well, too. Yeah. So the second is rehab. So you want to make a connection with a good contractor because the key word in contractor is con. A lot of contractors, (laughs) they try to finesse you. I'm not going to lie. They try to finesse you. They try to get the cheapest materials and charge you the most money that they can to fix your property for the labor, everything, you know? So you wanna make a good relationship with them. And I would recommend getting referrals from other people that um, you do business with or that you look up to in the business. And they'll they'll, um, they'll recommend good contractors to you. And then, you know, you connect with them. Maybe you can try to get a discount and tell them like, oh, I'm looking to buy like several houses in this area soon and I wanna work with you. And they'll sometimes give you a discount, you know, depending on, you know, how many houses you plan to buy in the next couple of years and things like that. So you wanna connect with a good contractor and you don't wanna cheap out on that at all. You don't wanna be cheap with the contracting, you know? So that's the second part. So when you're rehabbing a home, the most important things to to look at, before you even buy the house, you need to look at the foundation of the house Mm -hmm. because that can be a huge expense right there and that could take away all your your profit or your ROI, which is return on investment. So you wanna look at the foundation of it and um, after you put the, the offer on the house and you get it accepted, you want to do an inspection. You got to inspect the house and see everything. Um, nine times out of ten, you're going to have to gut out everything and you're going to have to replace the electrical system, the heating, the plumbing and things like that. So those are the most important things you know, when you're, when you're rehabbing. So um, when you're rehabbing, you want to make sure all the numbers make sense from, let's say, I know multifamily houses in like the Cleveland, Ohio area because I've been studying other markets. Multifamily homes are going for like ninety thousand over there, like fully, fully renovated, turnkey ready, like you can That's move crazy. in. Ninety thousand—it's crazy. So a lot of people with cash they go over there, they go and buy houses for like twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, and you know they'll put like put like another fifteen, twenty thousand, thirty thousand, depending on what they did to um you know to fix the house mm-hmm. or everything that they, that was needed for that house so um after you put in the money for the contractors then and, and they finish the job then you're, you're ready to rent out the property so you want to study that too you want to study the market value rental in that area the rental market value in that area that's super important you want to study that especially if it's a multifamily home you could be bringing in like 1300 per apartment 1400 whatever the apartment is, is going to be worth you know so that's super important. You're going, you want to look at that before you even make an offer on anything. So you rent it out. You find some good tenants. You can even find some, like, Section 8 tenants because I, I recommend Section 8 tenants because, one, you're helping people first. And, two, um, you know, that's, it's fully insured by the government. Some people have to pay a portion of the Section 8 vouchers, but, you know, that means they have a job if they're paying a portion of the Section 8 voucher. And some people are just fully covered depending on their circumstances. You know, maybe a single mom with, like, three kids, she – you can't afford to work because your kids got disabilities or whatever. So if you're renting out to Section Eight clients, you got guaranteed income coming every single month, and you know that will that will help you just keep a peace of mind and stuff like that. So you rent it out to to people, and then right after that, you want to refinance. This is the this is the most important step. So when you're refinancing a house, it's basically called like a delayed mortgage when you're refinancing because again, you're buying the house for cash like 30 40 thousand dollars and then you're putting money into it to fix it up so once you fix it up that automatically gains equity you know gains equity in the home so when you're refinancing you go to the bank and tell you, you want to put a mortgage on this house but the mortgage has to make sense it has to be the right number it can't pass the appraised value of the okay, house um, the ARB, the exactly a- the F- after return after yeah, repair, F- repair F- value F- exactly F- so the after repair value is basically your ROI, which is the return on investment. That's the after repair value. after have to do the renovations to it and everything like that. So then you can go to that bank and cash out on that um, after repair value. So let's say you bought a house for like 30,000, you put another 30 into it, and then now your house is gonna be worth 90,000, $100,000 because it's not based on the amount of money that you put into it only, it's, the, it's based on the market value of the house, of the market value in that area. So let's say the average is like hundred thousand dollars for a multifamily in that house, fully renovated, and you only paid sixty for it. You're gonna get forty thousand dollars back. So you can get that forty thousand dollars back tax-free, but you should always use it for the next step, which is repeat. You want to do that again and buy another house and do the same thing over and over and over. So that's that's basically the gist of the bird method.
0: Yeah. Okay. So so going back to this, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry I kind of yeah. I kind of inter- interrupted your question, Mike. So what was your, your question again, Mike? I'm sorry. I was like, uh, how do
2: you feel about wholesaling? Like,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I think it's fantastic. I, I really want to be a millionaire real estate investor, and the yeah. Burr Method is a great way to get that. There's yeah. other there's other met- methods to do it as well, too, you exactly. know? But was, it's a huge way. And it
2: was like, um, the reason why is was because, like I had, like, some bad luck with, like, you know, support, supporting a mentor. Yes. I didn't really have a success with a person I won't name and everything like that, but then I had mm-hmm. success when I took the problem um, with you. Research, yeah, everything. but I always wanted to hear from a realtor's perspective, a point of view, and everything. Yeah, and um, my next question is What is the most important skill that you feel that has granted you the best success in
1: those days? Communication. So okay. Communication, okay. Communication skills this is the number one thing that you need Your top to five be that, that, that's the <laughs> a to, a top five skills, yeah. Okay, um, I'm very personable, I love to help people, okay. Um, I'm very listening and empathetic towards others and understanding. Um, I'm knowledgeable in the business as well um, what else what else is there um, I have a wide network of people that I work with as well too in my in my company and what's another one let's say hmm. Hmm. I don't know what the last one would be hmm. <laughs> I don't know I don't know what the the last one would be you know but those are like those are the main skills that I have. That I would, you know, communication is key in this business. You know, yeah. definitely networking, everything like that.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly. That's that's
1: the number one thing. That's the number one thing.
2: My last, my last question. Yeah. So what would because I know you said it's a lot harder to like when you're thirty, you don't have like right, and then you it's a lot harder if you don't have no money. In everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what would you say to someone who's in their twenties who is wanting to know about real estate? I like yeah. Speaking about my damn self right now. Um. <laughs> that they don't have a lot of money currently right now, mm-hmm. and they literally look into, learn the, the ways of real estate, what would you say to them to do? Like what to get into to just pick up the skill or make you know, some extra money on the side, anything.
1: Right, right. Okay, so if you're looking to get into real estate, maybe you can start being an assistant to like a real estate broker or a successful real estate agent. Right. You go to different companies and you ask them, and you tell them that you wanna get into real estate, and then you, know, you start studying for your exam, you start working for them, maybe even start working for them for free, but some, most of the times, nine times out of 10 time, they're going to pay you for helping them, things like that, so I would recommend um, definitely, like, doing research on it online, looking up different podcasts, real estate podcasts yeah. from people, from successful agents that started in the business, yeah. but you definitely need to learn from experience, so you want to work with an experienced realtor or a real estate broker, mm-hmm. so, you know, you can start going into the office, maybe you can work at the office for a little bit, you can do like the front desk work at the office while studying for your exam. And then once you get your broker's license, you could still be working at the front desk or helping out with whatever people need to help out in that job. And then you build your business that way. and You build your clientele that way. And you gain a lot of knowledge from firsthand experience. I'd
2: be, shat- like, I'd be shadowing, I don't know, like JV, like a joint, a joint venture deal or whatever. Okay. Like I'd be shadowing people and I be like learning and stuff like that. I like, mean, yeah. I'm patient. I'm a very patient person, but it's like it has to be more right i'm just like constantly
1: seeking more information right? yeah so. oh back back to the bird method real quick someone who i study she's also a minority entrepreneur she's a, a millionaire and she um, she bought her first property when she was like 23 years old now she's 38 her name is Atia Blair so Atia Blair is somebody that i study pretty closely and she uses the bird method for most of her properties so Atia Blair is someone that you want to look look for And another one is, his name is Beyond Win. So Beyond, W-Y-N-N, Beyond Win. And this guy, too, he's another minority real estate investor. and He came from the bottom. And he he came from the bottom. He started out in the streets. He started making money, like, scamming, selling drugs. He'll tell you all of this, too. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he went to jail. And that's somebody that, he went to jail for a couple of years, and he came out. And that's somebody that I connected with, personally, because, you know, he came from the hood, like, my family came from the hood and, you know, he did whatever needed to be done to take care of his family. And he made a lot of mistakes along the way. He became a real estate investor when he was really young, I think in his early 20s. And he owned a bunch of properties, but he ended up losing everything because he didn't take care of those properties. And he tells you all the mistakes that he made from A to Z, everything that he messed up on and, and, and took his losses and, you know, went to prison. And now he's a multimillionaire um, real estate investor. And he, he does it with his kids too. His kids are in their 20s. And they're millionaires as well. He does investments with them and things like that. So um, that's another person. His name is Beyond Wynn. Those are the two people that I've been like studying. So speaking,
0: I'm sorry. So speaking on mistakes, would you say there are any mistakes that you made that you probably want to tell everyone at home to Uh, try to avoid? Okay.
1: Some of the mistakes I made. mm -hmm. So, yeah. So my first deal that wasn't able to close, I think a mistake I made was, you know, um, not keeping the, the client updated with everything that I possibly could have. I felt like I was keeping him updated with everything that I possibly could have, but you know, sometimes I'm not gonna blame him for the deal not going through, even though it was specific things that made the deal fall through, but you know, just keeping more communication with him on a day-to-day basis, because sometimes I'll let a few days pass by while things are going on, Um, you know, why things are working themselves out because between the deal, there are things that that's out of my control, but you know, I got to keep everything connected and everything together. So um, I got to keep all the connections with the attorneys, with the listing agent, with the owners, um, with the banks, both banks on both sides. You know what I mean? So um, there was like specific things that went on in the first deal that I felt like could have been avoided um, if I kept in contact with him every day. You know what I mean? If I kept in contact with him every single day, then I would have I feel like we would, would have been able to close on that deal but even though so the deal didn't end up closing because he was a teacher he worked in the DOE and um he, he took a leave of absence from work and you're not supposed to do that without telling like your lender or your bank that you're going to do that you know so we found out that he took a leave of absence literally the day that we were going to close and he took it four weeks before but I Granted, I was speaking to him during that time, too. Like, I spoke to him several times throughout that process. And he never told me that he took a leave of absence during, during, um, the, uh, during the time that we were under contract. But that's something that I didn't know that I had to let him know. You know what I mean? That that wasn't something that I told him, like, oh, before you before we close in this house, don't do this, don't do that. I didn't tell him, like, oh, like, don't take a leave of absence. You know, the bank is, is the one that's supposed to really, really tell them that because they're, hand, they're handling all of the finances, but that just comes with experience as well, and that's something that I learned from, from experience is to, you know, keep in contact with your clients every day and make sure that they know what they're not supposed to be doing during the process of you buying the house and being on the contract, you know what I mean? So let them know that you can't take a leave of absence from work without letting um, your lender know because... You know things take time to come in like basically like his, his pay stubs will come in every month but it's, it's very uh, it's very specific when it comes to the doe because they need to have like a letter um mailed out to the bank there's specific things that goes on and they have to basically send a letter to the bank telling him that he's getting paid this every month and he took a leave of absence for whatever reason it is and it's just a lot of technical things that you need to let your clients know and you learn that by experience and speaking with your lender as well and you know having a conversation all of you together tell them what they shouldn't be doing you never want to buy a car when you're in the middle of of buying a house you never want to buy a car because <laughs> that can that mess up your credit score and your income and you won't be able to qualify for the house anymore you don't want to buy anything crazy expensive like you can buy certain things for your house but you don't want to buy like these expensive expensive appliances or like granite countertops or you know thousands of dollars on your credit card that you're gonna have to explain you don't ever want to do that and yeah, that's, that's, that's one thing is definitely keep in tune with your clients every day about what's going on with them. And, you know, let them know what they shouldn't be doing during that time.
0: Yeah.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, man. Okay. So, <laughs> Real estate is
0: crazy. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, for sure. I mean, yeah, like I yeah, said, it's, 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 a lot, it's something that's easier said than done. It's like,
1: 100% you know? easier said than done. People think it's just, oh, you're showing clients' houses, oh, you want to buy it, put it off her, boom. No, it's not that simple. You need to be they, very knowledgeable. You need to you need okay. to know everything about a house you need to know everything about a house how much everything costs there's so much you need to know
0: that's what i was gonna say it's not, they don't even know that part they just think you know it's easy because they hear their music they hear it on social exactly. media. exactly uh, mm-hmm. yeah oh, llc twitter here we yeah. go like, like, house and just flip it. like you see you know yeah. what it is too <laughs> you gotta study i feel like it's also misleading because a lot of people that promote it mm-hmm. that are successful with it they promote it in a way where it's like we're going to make it look lucrative to you to where it's like, now you want our guidance. Like, yeah, like there's a lot of course, people... Buy
1: my course, and I'll teach you how to buy
0: do the course. Marketing.
1: You don't need to do all that to there, learn. Yeah, because there's a lot of
0: people, especially on Instagram. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I follow some of them, too, because I feel like they do make it simplified, but I feel like when I actually have to go and do yeah. it, I'm going to do it, like, through the resources I have. Like, I'm going to go and go through the internet and find the right places to be. Right. I'm not just going to trust someone off Instagram. Instagram, they make it seem like you know, somebody would give you like, like, there's one guy he does slides, mm-hmm. right? And he's very successful, but like, you know, his slides are very vague in terms of what he does, right? And people like basically eat it up, like, everything that he says, because they think, you know, because this guy makes millions of dollars, I could be a millionaire in just five easy steps, right? Yeah. Quote unquote, five easy steps, but they don't put the detail into those five right. steps.
1: And
3: how long did it take
1: him? Yeah, that's exactly why I recommended those people, um, beyond win and atia blair because they'll tell you all the things they messed up on and they'll tell you how to do everything from like a to z um you know specifically atia blair she owned multiple properties um in her early 20s as well and then she ended up losing everything because she didn't have enough income coming in to take care of those houses and things like that so she ended up having to move back into her parents house she was living in the basement with her daughter and you know she was basically like, all right, let me take this time. Let me study. Let me, let me stay at my corporate job so I could save up a lot of money while I'm here in my mom's house. And then, you know, start this journey again of investing. And, you know, just listening to her story, it really resonated with me because, you know, she was she sacrificed a lot of time and living in her parents' house, which isn't, isn't a bad thing whatsoever. But, you know, she, she had to make sacrifices for what she wanted for her future. And, you know, that's somebody that, I think everybody who wants to get real estate investing should should definitely like learn from, you know, you learn from people who have who are empathetic and you learn from people who want to help people, Um, especially like like us, like minorities and things like that. Mm -hmm. I connect more to to people like that because they really come from the bottom and they build an empire and they'll tell you all the mistakes and everything that they made. You don't need to take these courses in order to learn how to invest in real estate. You can just you know learn from the right people. Basically, that's it. Mm
3: -hmm. Starting at the bottom, yeah. getting in the job. Yeah. Like yeah. working in the office. I knew from working in the yeah. office, I'm like, yeah, definitely Back do it. I did it when I was like 17. Yes. My family's already in the business, but I learned so much, like how you guys get paid, um, like the commission mm-hmm. and you know, all of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um there's definitely something that I want to talk about about people who, you know, have corporate jobs or have nine to fives or whatever that wanna get into real estate investing is to just keep that job and save up as much money as possible, get your credit right, find out a way to get out of that rat race and get out of that job that you hate. So what you wanna do is if you have a a corporate job, um, just save up as much money as you possibly can. And then let's say New York City is is very, very expensive. It's the most expensive city in the world. So you start looking for other markets that could benefit you and you start studying other markets in different cities and you wanna take trips out to those cities and look at the opportunities that you can make with the money, you know, so you save up enough up capital gains, and you go out and start looking for those properties. And what you want to do is, or even if it's even if it's in New York, you know, you can do that as well, too. But let's say if you go out somewhere first, you want to, like you said, you can definitely try out the bird method, try out the bird method, try to see if you can, you got to connect with the right people and the right um, banks and people who are going to guide you, you got to do a lot of study, you can't just You can't just go into um into like let's say cleveland and and buy a house just because it's cheap out there no you want to make sure that you know wherever you're buying that property you know for a fact that it's going to appreciate it's going to build you equity or it's a fix and flip you know what i mean you could do a fix and flip from a distressed house that's in a good area you know put money into it and then you know cash out basically from a return on investment so let's say you want to do something like in new york city save up your money stay at that job, save as much money as you possibly can, and then get, get qualified for an FHA loan. So FH, you know FHA is right? Yeah, first-time homebuyers, FHA loan. You can get a house from as little as three and a half percent down on the listing price. But also keep in mind that you have to pay for closing costs as well. So closing costs range from anywhere from three to five percent of that purchase price of the house. So let's say you put a three and a half percent down payment. You want to estimate at least 5% of that house for closing costs. You know what I mean? At least, so essentially you're paying like 8.5% cash upfront to buy the house, but you're really only paying 35 because no matter what, you're going to always have to pay for closing costs for a house. You know? So um, you get an FHA loan and then you, you get a multifamily property. You don't get that single family property first. You get a multifamily property that's going to generate income, generate passive income or cash flow and things like that so that's something that you definitely want to look forward to so when you're using the fha loan there are specific like requirements Mm -hmm. you need to have above a 580 credit score but essentially you want to have above a 650 so you get the best interest rate that you could possibly get so so one thing that you could also do with a multifamily home and fha loan is when you speak with your lender and let's say if you don't have enough income to qualify for that let's say you want a house and it's like $600,000 in New York, but it's a multifamily, but you only make about like 70, 80,000 and you need a certain amount of money to qualify for that. So you can tell them like, oh, I want to rent out one of the units in the house, but I also want to live there. So with an FHA loan, you definitely need to be living in that primary residence for at least 12 months. You need to tell the bank that you're going to live there too and rent out the other property. So what you can do is, once you you tell them once you show them the the rental market value of that home then they'll add that as income to your loan basically so that can potentially add another 10 to twenty thousand to your income in order to qualify for that house you know so you know once you get that all figured out then you're able to qualify for the house and then you and then you start you know you start renting out one of the units to somebody and in new york there's a bunch of places there's a bunch of homes that have like basements and stuff like that so you could fix up the basement. You could also rent out the basement to somebody and build an apartment down there. And that could cover half or even almost your whole mortgage. And then you're living in that other apartment almost rent-free or basically rent-free. You know what I mean? You just got to pay for some utilities and then you become a landlord. And then after those 12 months, you can rent out that other property to somebody else. But in order to do that, you have to get out of the FHA loan first. So what FHA loan is, you basically... Have to pay this thing called PMI, which is private mortgage insurance on the loan, and that can add an additional like $300 on the loan, $400 depending on the purchase price of the home. Mm -hmm. So once you reach 20% equity in the house, then you're able to get rid of that PMI, but you have to switch your loan to something called a conventional loan. You gotta switch to that, which is basically the number one loan that people use, you know, the conventional loan, because with for FHA loan, you're always going to have to pay for that private mortgage insurance regardless. And then if you're using FHA, you also have to live in, a, live in that house that your as private money residence. So you have to switch over loans, and then you're able to use another FHA loan in the future. Because you can't, you can't have an FHA loan on one property and then buy another FHA loan in the same city. Yeah. Because if you want to do that, it has to be at least like 100 miles apart from that yeah. FHA loan. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But FHA loans, you're supposed to live in that property. You're never going to move on. Away if you have know, the business and things like that in a family. So, FHA loans are definitely the key. I would say FHA loans are definitely the key to, to building both much faster and people who have corporate jobs and things like that save up money, look for a multifamily, use an FHA loan, little money down, rent that property out, build up equity, and then you know keep it going and move on to the next house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's um. Real estate has always
2: been something that like I feel like I just overcomplicated at the same right. time because it's like um, right now I'm in the process of like um, it's not even just like doing like the, the I guess the cash buyers, I guess, yeah. I guess we'll call that, but it's like my own my main purpose of like the of the wholesale is to just gather up as much knowledge and as much income as I can. Yeah. So then I can take the next step which is to be a potential realtor. Right. So and um, Sometimes I feel like um, because of New York's hot market or whatever, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm just doing, I'm, right now I'm doing it virtually. I mean, looking at PA. It was, um, there was this guy who said, look like, at metro areas or whatever. Like, I, I forgot how he said it, but it's that's how you find the next market. And, yeah. Um, I feel like the the struggle with it is, is like, um, do you, are you a person who just sticks with locally, or you do it virtually as well, or anything like that? You mean virtually, like in, in other cities and stuff? Yeah, virtually. And then you said you hired an inspector. So, yeah. So it's like, um, are you a guy who just sticks to just local, like local real estate deals where it's like you have to be in person or virtual, you could know, do a cold call and then
1: have someone over there reach out and see the property. Well, yeah, there's other there's ways that you can make money in that too, especially with the company that I'm in. Let's mm-hmm. say you have somebody that wants to move to like Florida or whatever, mm-hmm. you connect them with another agent in Florida and then you can take a referral fee off that. Oh, and, you know, okay. you can do that as well. Because I can't do like virtual tours and things like that in yeah, other cities yeah. or other states because I'm not licensed in those states. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can go to those states as an investor and buy something, but that's about it. So right now I'm just thinking locally in like New York City right. and Westchester area. Okay. And Long Island sometimes too.
2: Yeah. All right, so do you have anything
1: you want to tell the viewers, like any, any tips, any advice you want to give to everybody before we wrap it up? Well, anybody can find me on Instagram at underscore Peter Alvarez or on Facebook at Peter Alvarez at EXP Roti. Um, mm. You know, feel free to reach out to me with any real estate question that you have about anything. you <laughs> want. Uh, I would love to help. I've talk to you guys for hours about this and just, you know, and just basically just give you free game. <laughs> you know, just from being in the business myself, I'm still learning every day um yes if you ever need any help with buying selling rentals anything real estate related feel free to always give me a call shoot me a text dm me my numbers on my instagram page um yeah find me on instagram and facebook okay right. Yeah. Thanks so much yeah absolutely yeah absolutely Ooh. thank you so What's much you? So thank you all right guys
3: that wraps up the episode
1: <laughs> thank you guys for having me i appreciate it thank you thank you for
2: coming yeah.